Welcome to Doggy Dish, where two of LA's best dog trainers serve up a hearty helping of dog topics. At the end of this podcast, we'll provide information on how to contact our trainers. And now, here they are. This is Kim Reinhardt with Ain't Misbehaving Canine. And Laura Berheny from Animal Attraction Unlimited. Thank you again for joining us. Hello today. Today we're going to talk about clickers. Yay. And not, not the TV remote kind. <laughs> the use of clickers in training. And Laura's a very accomplished clicker trainer. I'm a sometimes using clicker trainer. I, I love it. I think it's a great tool. I'm not, I don't have the kind of fluidity and mechanical skills that Laura does. And she's been using them a lot longer. So Why, thank you, ma'am. <laughs> Here's ah, your five bucks. <laughs> bow to the queen. Bow to the queen. <laughs> so anyway, we just wanted to kind of give you an idea of what they are. I know that a lot of people that listen to Doggy Dish do know what a clicker is, and they maybe have dabbled with it a little bit. But I think that there are people who haven't, and that maybe we can do a little bit to it. There are a lot of books out there. There's a lot of information that you can get to explain it. And there are also a lot of misconceptions because people think that if you, if you train with a clicker, that then you have to have a clicker on you all the time. Right. Which is absolutely not true. Correct. It's a lie. It's a lie. I tell you. So it's the, there's a lot of reasons to use a clicker. Mm -hmm. Although you don't always, right? No, I don't always. Neither do I. I, I use it for very, for very specific things. There are a lot of things I can get much faster with a clicker than mm -hmm. I can without. There are some things that it's kind of impossible to get without a clicker. And the reason for that is? Oh, you don't have the answer? <laughs> I'm asking oh, you. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, the reason for that is, like, I mean, you could without a clicker, but you would have to have, like, a verbal marker. And mm -hmm. a lot of times people use good, but for me, good is a keep-going signal doesn't the matter, clicker, whatever your verbal, mar your exactly. verbal marker could be pencil. It right. doesn't matter, but whatever it is that you've, you've trained. Right. But if you look at a clicker as an event marker, it is like you're taking a picture of the behavior you want. And so when the dog or animal, any species, hears the sound of the clicker and then they get a reward, like a treat or whatever, then they know that what they are getting paid for is what they were doing at the instant they heard the clicker. Right. So a verbal marker could be used in the same way. Yes. But the advantage to a clicker that I've noticed is that we use our voice in a variety of ways all the time. Mm -hmm. And a clicker really is one thought, one idea. It is, that's it. Yes. And it's unemotional. And it can cut through any other ambient noise that's going on. The dog will be able to distinguish, oh, I heard that clicker. Whereas if you and I are talking and like, let's say my verbal click is yes, but I say, I say yes, right? But if you and I are talking and I say yes, or if I say, guess what? My dog from, you know, 20 feet away could go, was that yes? Where I actually just said guess. And I don't think that, it's not that I worry about verbal markers. It's not that I worry that they can be confused with a lot of other things, but when I want to get something quickly, part of the thing that I think works with the clicker is that it's clean. It's completely clean. It's completely unattached to anything except that was it. And it doesn't sound like anything else. There are no other meanings to it. So I'm not going to accidentally use the word in a different way. And besides that, you know, our dogs have learned to tune out a great deal of what we say. Mm -hmm. That's just a fact. You know, they have to. They have to in order to remain sane. They do. And, and to still like us, because otherwise they're like, you talk all the freaking time. They don't talk like that. 
that we are our televisions, our radios, everything talk, 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 and they don't do that. So the clicker is something that they aren't getting tired of. Right. Unless you have a clock that just clicks all the time. I don't know. <laughs> tick, tock, tick, tock. I don't know. Maybe there is something. You have a clock like that? <laughs> I don't. I absolutely don't. I'm just saying, I suppose there's a possibility, but for the most part, it's just a really clean meaning. Yes. So let's talk about... Conditioning the clicker? Sure. Okay. Because how, do, how does the dog know that the clicker means anything? And this brings up a good point. I had a client who was using a clicker for her puppy, and then she went to somebody's group class, and she was the only one in the class who was using a clicker. And the instructor said, well, I don't want you to use the clicker because then if any of the other puppies in the class are doing something wrong, at the time that you click, then they're going to think that they should continue to do something wrong. And so she thought that this was incorrect, but at her next appointment she asked me, and I said, yeah, totally incorrect. I said, if the other puppies in the class, and even, even if they did, but do the other puppies in the class even know what a clicker means? And she said, no. I said, then why would the click mean anything to them? Right. Because in order to use a clicker effectively, you have to teach the dog what it means. You right. have to load it. You and have to teach the dog this is how this works. This is important. And this is important because I'm going to click and give you a piece of food. I'm going to click and give you a piece of food. I'm going to click and give you a piece of food. So that the dog then starts to learn that the click precedes food. The clicker means, oh, food. Click equals food. Right. A reward is coming. How many other ways can I say that? <laughs> yeah, I think you've covered it. Okay. So you're going to start teaching your dog about a clicker. Mm-hmm. And the first thing you do is just that. Click yeah. food. Some people some people just do click food, click food, click food. You know what? I condition it by having my dog do things. I just start working my dog. Every time I get a new dog and I'm working with them, I, I have them sit, I click, and I give them a piece of food. Well, I do too, to be honest with you. But I think when I teach it, I do teach people to load the clicker. And I think it's because and part of the thing is it is a mechanical skill, and I'm trying to teach them what it means. That's true. One of the confusing things about a clicker is people will get the order incorrect. Mm-hmm. They'll give the food and then click. Mm-hmm. I've seen that happen. Or give the food and click at the same time. Right. So by having them start with their dog by loading the clicker, we can get the rhythm of click, give a treat, click, give a treat. Right. And click, ideally, you want treat. the treat to come within a second of the click. Okay. Okay. So in the beginning, whether or not you do what's called loading the clicker, right? Mm-hmm. Charging the clicker. Charging it, which is click and give a treat. Click and give a treat to let the dog know, look, every time you hear that sound, this is what's coming. Mm-hmm. There's something coming. And also to teach the person. Yes. <laughs> Or whether you just start working with the dog, which is actually how I do it too, Laura, but that's not what I teach people mm-hmm. usually because of, because I've seen it done right incorrectly so many times. But let's, let's talk about how you start with a client. Well, I'll have them, I do skip that step about just straight charging the clicker, unless it's somebody who needs a little more remedial help, like seeing the dog, like they might tend to click before the dog's rear end hits the ground. You know, they'll click, then they'll treat. So then I might have them just click and treat and click and treat and click and treat. Then what I usually do is, well, you know, most of the time with private lessons, I don't introduce a clicker. I don't use it unless somebody specifically calls me for clicker training because most people have a hard enough time handling the leash and treats. So when do you use a clicker? Well, like let's say I have a private client and they want to teach the dog to ring a bell at the door. Then I might use it for that one specific thing. Mm-hmm. Or I might use it for a recall. If we really have a hard time getting the dog to pay attention, 
if I have a dog that really has a short attention span, a lot of times if you use a clicker, because it does just have that one meaning, mm -hmm. a lot of times if you introduce the clicker, they go, oh, oh, it gets them to focus more, because now they have something to focus on. So very quickly, because I've seen this used many times with a recall, and I've seen people who don't understand how this is used, use it really incorrectly, like, look, this means you're supposed to be coming. Oh, they click it 20 times to get the dog to come to them? So let's talk about that for a second. Yes. So let's say we're using it to start teaching a dog a recall. First thing first. First things first. The dog, the dog has to respond to his name. Right. Right. And that's what I click. Right. You I don't. I don't. I, yeah. I don't wait for the dog to come all the way back to me. Right. Because so, by clicking, the dog is already going to come back to you for the treat. So let's paint that picture. Right. Okay. So the dog is five feet away from you. Mm-hmm. You say I say come. I always teach a dog to a word, not to their name, because I do have frequently work with multiple dogs. Mm -hmm. But so you teach. You say dog come or dog's name you do it with the name and the dog turns around and looks at you mm -hmm. click okay i'm asking what do you do i do i do click at that moment okay I but i wouldn't click. say i wouldn't say come though because if you if the dog doesn't know what the word come means how are you going to get him to turn around and look at you that's why i start with the name because for me name name recognition when i say your name it means look at me for further instruction well we're going to assume that neither one of us is right or wrong because we've both taught a lot of dogs to come so we're not going to argue the merits of that one because, honestly, I've taught as many dogs to come as you have. Right. And it, and it does work. But in the end, but okay, how so do you, how do you get the dog to, to turn around and look at you when you say come? the same thing that you do when you do their name. You get their attention. They turn around and look at you. Look, when you start teaching a recall, because this isn't about teaching a recall. No, when no, When you start teaching a recall, you teach a recall in an area that is so boring that the dog is basically looking for something to do. So the minute you engage with them, it doesn't matter. You could say Rumpelstiltskin. You're more interesting than nothing at all. And so they're going to give you a momentary attention. And if they've learned that the click means something, mm -hmm. then when they hear the click, they know what follows is the treat. But you don't click to get their attention. You click to get them to. That's what to, I said. The dog turns right. around and looks at you. As soon as the dog, for me, when I'm teaching a recall, as soon as the dog focuses attention in my direction, if he moves anything in my direction, including his head, mm -hmm. okay, short of an ear, mm -hmm. if he turns his attention in my direction, I will let him know there's a treat at the end of it if you get over here. If you're working in a boring enough situation, the dog is going to come because they're going to want what you have. Right. So that's how I start teaching a recall. But, okay, but the but the point about the clicker is you are going to click when you start to get the beginning of what you want. Right. So one of the problems with the clicker is that people think that if they're teaching a behavior, the dog has to perform the entire behavior before they click. Okay. Right? Right. People who don't know how to use a clicker. Yes. So that's what I was saying. When you start working with a, do a dog and a behavior and you call the dog, where is it that you click? I would click as soon as the dog responded to my cue, as soon as the dog responded to, in my case, his name. And what response would that, how would that response look? Attention. He would look at me. Okay. Or, or turn, to, or turn towards me. Right. Okay. 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 So, don't get so frustrated. Like, I'm a no, trainer. No, 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 I know. No, no. no. Okay. So, so like, let's say. Uh, the dog is five feet away from me. I'm going to say his name, kiss at him, do something, whistle, do clap my hands, pat my leg, do something to get him to turn around and look towards mm -hmm. me. Then I'm going to click. That click is, if you have charged it correctly, is going to get the dog to come to you because click equals food, right? So the dog is going to then start coming to me. And it, actually at the point that then he starts to move towards me, then I'm going to say come. And then I'm going to say my keep going signal, which is good boy, good boy, is encouragement to keep the dog moving. And then when he comes to me, I'm going to pet him and feed him. I'm not going to click again. So let's say we were going to, say, teach a sit. Mm -hmm. You're going to teach somebody to use a clicker by because you said you don't load the clicker, so you're going to start with them trying to get the sit. Talk about how that would look. 
Well, what I would do is I would still use a lure, you know, put the food in front of the dog's nose and bring his little nose up, not so high that his front feet come off of the ground, but so that he ends up going up and back a little bit because usually when their nose comes up, their rear end goes down. And I have, you know, I'm, I'm right-handed, but I've always used the clicker in my left hand. And it's not that I'd, I can click with my right hand, but I can't feed with my left hand. Mm-hmm. My left hand is coordinated enough to click, but it's not coordinated enough to actually reach into a fanny pack and get food out without me looking like some uh, so the T-Rex clicker, or something. So the clicker is in one hand and the food is in the other And the, the food the is in the other hand. Okay, so right. the hand that you're luring with, mm-hmm. the clicker's in that one hand and, the hand and you have the hand that you're luring with. Right. You take and the food from like right in front of the dog's nose and you just lift and it up I, over his head. Right, and back a little oh. bit. To, okay. to get him to kind of back up a little bit. And just so you know, I almost always have the clicker behind my back. And that is because? Well, habit for me, but also because it's not a remote control. I don't need to point it at the dog. And okay. I've seen a lot of dogs. And some of the box clickers can be really loud. Mm-hmm. And a dog who would normally be okay with a clicker, mm-hmm. you know, in your pocket or behind your back or something, he can still hear it just fine. But as soon as you point it at the dog and click... Sometimes the dog can be really sound sensitive enough, sensitive enough that it can turn the dog off. And, and, I then have, the, and then the clicker ends up scaring the dog. And I have heard of people who have gotten their dogs to be afraid of clickers. So, yes, I think that's a really yeah. viable. So yeah. I either put it in a pocket or most of the time it's behind my back. Okay. And because that way also I'm not flailing that arm around. Okay. So you've lured the dog up. So I, you've taken the food from, from right in front of his nose and you've actually lifted it up. So he has to lift it up and slightly back. And I'm watching, I'm watching his front feet to make sure they don't come off the ground, but also I'm watching his rear end. So as his nose follows the treat up and his nose ends up sticking up in the air, mm-hmm. right? His rear drops. Right. And as soon as his rear end touches the ground, that's when I click. Okay. And then I release the food. Okay. Let's say the dog then jumps up. After I've clicked and fed him? Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. Let's say he jumps up after you clicked, but before you fed him. I put him back in a sit before I feed him. Okay. Because I want to feed him in position. Okay. Because the only reason the clicker has power is because of the food. Okay. So in that situation, you clicked, but there is no food to follow it because he's leapt up. Right. But I instantly, I mean like as quickly as possible, get him right back into a sit. That's really important because if you were to wait, then that Then there's too much stuff that has happened between the click and the food, and then that can become a superstitious behavior or, a, you know, a sequence of behaviors. And so that's why it's really important for me, even before I start doing the clickers, that I'm going to ideally lure the dog into a sit a number of times so I know where my hand has to be in order to avoid that, okay. in order to avoid the dog's front feet from coming up. I see. Okay. And then let's say you've clicked and you fed, and then he jumps up. I don't care. Okay. I'm not going to I'm not going to engage him. I'm not going to reinforce him. I'm not going to – certainly not going to click. I'm not going to feed him. Okay. But I don't care. Okay. Because then, uh, then I just get him back into a sit again, and then I click and, re- and reward. Okay. Let's say he has sat. You've clicked. You're in the process of feeding him. He gets up. Right? You're in mm-hmm. the process of getting that food to him. He stands as he's – maybe he's reaching out to get the food from you, and he stands up. So you pull the food back. Am I right? No, I would push. I would push the food into him and get him back into a sit. Okay, okay. Because then, I mean, ideally, because I'm luring him, ideally the food is there anyway, okay. so he doesn't have to come forward for the food. So at then, all. as you go to give him the food, and mm-hmm. he's gotten up, and now you've lured him back into a sit, you're going to click again and give the food. 
You're right. In that situation with the lure right there, it would be very difficult. It would be really, really difficult to mess up. Yes. But there are situations where people will get to the place where the dog does the behavior or does part of the behavior. Mm -hmm. They click. The dog comes out of the behavior. Right. Before they can get the food to them. Right. It does happen, and that's why I'm addressing that. And there are also the times that you don't have to have the food right at the dog's nose to lure. Like Mm -hmm. you're standing up, it's a little tiny dog, and you can lure the dog into a sit, but your hand is, you know, three feet off the ground. And then as you reach down to pay the dog, the dog does come up to get it. Mm -hmm. You're slow, number one. You need to get the food to him as much as possible. So it's not then luring him up out of the sit, because that's what's happening is you're too slow with the food, and he's coming up to get the food. So you're kind of luring him out of the sit, which is bad you. Bad and a suggestion it. anyway at that point is if you're working with a really tiny dog that's really close to the floor, get on your knees to work with him to teach him to sit initially. Right. Initially. Yeah. Not later. Of course you're going to have to get out of that, but it's it's hard. So yeah. Especially you. You're very tall to be working with a very toy dog and get that food to them every time. And right. it's going to require you leaning over them. Right. which has its own set of issues with it, but that's yeah. not about the clicker. So, okay, so let's say you were teaching a dog to, what other behaviors might you teach with a click? Down. Okay, so let's say you were teaching a down. So I usually start from a sit. Most people start from a sit, although I do end up also teaching a fold back down mm-hmm. so that the dog is in a stand and goes into a down. So from a sit, I would just take the food right at the end of the dog's nose And go straight down to the ground, right in between his paws, wait for him to hunch over a little bit, and then I would start slowly moving it out just enough to give him enough room to put the front end of his body. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to do it slow because if I do it too fast, then he's going to get up and walk. He's going to stand, right. Right. And so what I'm watching at this point is his elbows. Mm -hmm. As soon as his elbows touch the ground, then I'm going to click and feed him. Mm -hmm. But then there are the dogs who will hunch over and hunch over and hunch over, and then they end up getting up again. Or their back end comes up anyway. In that case, what I might do is I might click and feed for the hunch over mm-hmm. just to keep him there. And then click and feed for the hunch over, click and feed, click and feed, click and feed. And then just to keep him there, remember? So at this point, I'm shaping. Mm-hmm. And so then I'm going to just start to move the food out farther and farther. With each progressive? Yes, with each click and treat, click and treat. I'm going to move it out farther and farther so that then he ends up going down. Right. So let's talk a little bit about that. When you do shaping, when you're shaping with a dog, you're actually clicking for pieces of what the final picture are going to look like, mm-hmm. is going to look like, okay? And I think that that's really confusing to people, and I think that, that at the point that they start working on that, a lot of times people get discouraged and drop the clicker because it's kind of nonlinear. You're not clicking for the same piece over and over and over again necessarily. Mm -hmm. You might have a complex behavior where you're getting small pieces of the behavior and you will take pieces of the behavior even though it wasn't the next logical step from the last thing he did. And that's at a time, I think, when people get confused. So let's talk about teaching the rollover with a clicker. When you teach a dog to rollover, most people know what a rollover is, but I'm just going to say this. The dog is laying down like maybe in a sphinx position and you teach the dog to roll his head back and roll his whole entire body all the way over. And she's demonstrating back, for us right now, folks. Until Well, I'm trying to think it through, actually, <laughs> and describe what I'm, what's happening, until he ends up rolled all the way over until he's back into the sphinx position. So when you're teaching a dog to roll over, where are you going to click? Where are the places that you think that you would be clicking? Well, then, number one, I would start out in the down. Mm-hmm. I would click the dog for starting off in the right position in the down to keep him down there, to know that's where I want you to be, mm-hmm. so that he doesn't just lay down and then get up again. I mm-hmm. want him in the down. I'm going to probably heavily feed him 
in the down a number of times. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to take the food and I'm going to lure his his chin, his mouth, back over his shoulder mm-hmm. so that it's like he's looking over his shoulder so that he's seeing where he's going, sort right. of. You know, so I'm he's trying to turned describe to the it. side and then going up like... Right. So he's turned to the side, and then he, his head starts to come up and around, like, over his back. Yeah, and I don't ever want him to straighten out his nose, you know, mm-hmm. to straighten out his head. Because a lot of people go too fast, and the dog just ends up flipping his head back around so that he's, like, lying on the floor with his head on the floor. And that's not what I want. I want to keep his, like, his chin is attached to his shoulder. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to click and feed there and click and feed there, and then slowly just get him to follow it over so that the rest of his body is following along. A lot of dogs will only go partway, and once they start to lose their balance, get in that area where they kind of feel like they have no control, they're going to flop back over again. And at that point, I'm going to stop clicking and feeding and start to get him to think about, wait, I'm not getting fed now. What was I doing when I was getting fed? Mm -hmm. And then it's going to make them more comfortable to go over in that direction. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it would probably be a really good idea for us to, we've talked about doing some video, and I think that maybe the clicker is going to be something that we'll explore in a video mm-hmm. so that people can see this because it is very difficult to describe. So instead of describing it, because I'm realizing how difficult this is, not mm-hmm. just I'm having a hard time too, let's talk about situations where you might use the clicker. Well, well I know you said ringing the bell. Yeah, ring a bell to go out. Mm-hmm. Or what else? Because I said, you know, really specific situations. Like, I might, I'll probably use it for teach a dog to go lie down on its bed. Mm-hmm. That's a great one when they want it, when they hit a mark. Yeah. Because it's really easy for you to, if you have a marker, something on the ground, a mat mm-hmm. or something, and you're trying to teach the dog that his feet need to go on the mat, mm-hmm. it's really, the clicker is a really good, I also use it at yeah. that point because it's a really good thing. They actually feel what's happening at the time that they hear the click. Yeah. Because a lot of time getting them to isolate and understand which body movement is getting rewarded for is difficult without that instant click. But it is true that it has a very concise meaning. It's very specific. Yeah. It doesn't mean a whole bunch of things. It means one specific thing. One thing I have used it for a lot of times, I've used it for dogs that bark in the crate. And I'm not talking barking to go out and go to the bathroom. I'm talking just the dog who's in the crate and refuses to be there and just barks to get your attention. And so you know what I've done is that I take their food bowl and I put it outside of their crate, mm-hmm. right outside of their crate where they can see it. Mm-hmm. And they bark and they bark and they bark and I'm around the corner. And the clicker can buy me some time, right? So I'm out around the corner. The dog sees his food bowl outside, so he knows what the possibility is. Mm -hmm. And he knows that I have to come back in the room in order to reach into that food bowl and feed him. Mm -hmm. And so he's in the crate barking, 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 barking. I'm around the corner. And remember, at this point, the clicker is already charged. He knows what the clicker means. And so I'm around the corner. I wait for that half a second of not barking, and then I click. And even if he was just gearing up to bark again, that click makes him go, what? And he stops for half a beat, long enough for me to race around the corner, reach into the food bowl, pop him, pop him a piece of food, and then I turn around and walk away again. And then he barks and barks and barks and barks and then stops for a half a beat. I click, and then I run back in and I feed him. So he goes, wait, when is she clicking? And then he figures out that, oh, it's when I'm quiet that she's clicking. Because that way I find that if I don't use the clicker in that situation, I'm around the corner and I get a half a beat of silence. And then I start to come back, and then he barks again. Right. But the clicker buys me 
another second or so of him going, what? Okay, so let me follow that thought through, that process that you're talking about. So he's given you that half beat of silence, and you've clicked it, and you've gone out, and you've treated him, and then you've come back, and he's bark, 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 and he gives you that moment of silence, and you come back. And then you've given him the food, and you start to walk back around, and you get all the way to the other side of the wall, and he hasn't started to bark. Are you going to click? click? I will click and turn around and back, go back and feed him. Absolutely. Right. right. Because what you're trying to get at that point duration. is duration. Yeah. Right. So when you're training with a clicker, you're trying to get duration. Mm-hmm. What else? Distance. Okay. The main things to remember in clicker training is timing, criteria, and rate of reinforcement. Okay, so t- by timing, I mean when you click and when you feed. So that's why it's so important to, like in the down, watch the dog's elbows. A lot of people make a mistake. When they're using a clicker, they think that they have to click. Okay, so like let's say the dog puts his elbows on the ground, and then they feed the dog, and they forgot to click. So they've fed the dog. Now the dog is up, and then they go, oh, I forgot to click, and then they click. Guess what they just clicked? They the just clicked the up. dog for getting up. Right. They think that it's better to click poorly with bad timing than it is to not click at all and just feed. And yet timing is essential for getting the behaviors. Otherwise, you're training something you don't want. Right. So with timing, the big thing to worry about is, am I clicking in the right moment? Yes. Okay. Then the next thing you said was? Criteria. What are you asking for? You don't want to take giant leaps in thought. You don't want the dog to have to do multiplication in order to you know, in order to, to get to the end. You like, for instance, with the rollover, I don't want to click the dog for putting his nose over his shoulder and then not click anything in between until he's finished Rolling the rollover. Right. Okay. Meaning he's all the way over with his belly on the ground again. I want to click a whole bunch of things in between there. It's called successive approximations. It's a little tiny, 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 tiniest sliver you can think of of the next piece of the behavior. Mm-hmm. So you need to have in your mind what this behavior looks like and what all the different pieces of the behavior look like because if you don't have it clear in your mind there's no way the dog is going to know and let me just say that when i was first learning to use a clicker that i didn't really put the emphasis on criteria that i think that you need to and it wasn't until i started working with it for a while that i realized that it was necessary for me to have thoroughly thought through what the behavior was what the end looked like, and what all the pieces in the middle looked like Mm -hmm. from beginning to end. It was necessary for me to know that and have a clear picture in my mind and have given that thought before I started working with my dog. Because otherwise, when I started working with my dog, my dog would throw things at me that I wasn't sure about. Mm-hmm. Should I click that? Shouldn't I click that? Why should I click that? Should and by I the time you've that? gone through that whole process, it's too late. It is. You don't really have a lot of time to sit back and think about it because it's, it's an event marker. Mm-hmm. So you can't mark the event 10 seconds later. Right. So criteria is one of those things that I think people think they have. You'll mm-hmm. ask them, do you have a picture of what you want in your mind? Yeah, well, I want the dog to roll over. What does that look like? Paint me a picture. Tell right. me. Tell me what if that you were looks making, like. If you were making a cartoon, how would that be drawn out? You know, because if you flip through a, a book of cartoons, you know, like when you go to uh, Disneyland yeah. or whatever, you would do the flip thing and you can see the whole thing progress. That's what you need to have. That's how you need to break down the behavior in all those little different frames. 
And not only that, you have to have a clear idea of what the picture is going to look like, because sometimes they give you something that's kind of like it, but not really, and you're not sure. Am I going to take that? Do I want that? Maybe rollover is a tough one to do this on, because of course there's pretty much not a lot of ways for dogs to mess that up. But let's say somebody's teaching their dog to sit. Let's say they're doing an obedience sit, and mm-hmm. they want a particular, they want a precise-looking sit. Mm-hmm. So the dog gives them a sit, but it's over on its side, or, you know, it's rolled over on its hip, right. or it's got one leg in the air, or it's looking behind it. Or There are just so many different things that they can right. do, and you have to really have considered what are all the pieces going to look like so you know if it falls outside of the piece. But also, I mean, if you have something that has multiple pieces, you have to train each piece individually. You don't take it all as one big, as one big picture. If right. something has three different criteria, like healing, for example, a dog can only be this far away from your leg and this far in front of you and this far behind you. You don't train all of that at the same time. You teach it as separate pieces and then you put the pieces together. I understand. I know that when I was teaching a dog to, I believe, circle, mm-hmm. turn in a circle, that there were certain things that the dog did well, I've taught a lot of dogs, but I'm thinking of one particular dog. There were certain things that she did that I really had to have thought through, and I was working with somebody else and teaching them to do this, and I really, we really had to have thought through clearly what it was that we wanted it to look like because she started to throw in little extra behaviors in mm-hmm. between, and we had to be good at not clicking those extra behaviors because maybe she'd do something we wanted, some small piece of what we wanted with Married up to, fused with something yeah. that we didn't want. But we didn't really know we didn't want it because we hadn't really thought about it. So you have to really have thought about what it is that you want and what that picture is going to look like in all the little slices, what all those little slices are going to look like. Because if there's something that it's fused something else with, then you get what you call a superstitious behavior, right? They right. throw in an extra piece that you didn't really want. And there are some times that I will take something that comes that has a superstitious behavior because I know that once he gets the one piece, I can get rid of the super the superstitious part. Right. But if I shut him down now and don't take that, then he's going to shut down completely. But you know what? You are an accomplished clicker trainer who's done this a million zillion times. And we're talking to people who possibly have not used a clicker or hard or a just you know neophytes that don't really have a clear idea of what they're supposed to be doing here and so I think that that was one of the things that was difficult for me when I was learning about it is all the subtleties of what it means to know what your criteria is yeah what does that mean so you write down if you have something especially a a more complicated behavior sit down write it out write out the plan what does this look like what what am I going to accept what am I not going to accept Right, and you have to think it through in its entirety. Let me tell you, you got to think of all the different little contingencies because no matter how much you've thought about, your dog can throw something new at you. They're right. very creative little beaks. Okay. And then the last one was rate of reinforcement, meaning how much, how quickly are you feeding the dog? Because if you don't keep up your rate of reinforcement and you make it too hard on the dog, he has no reason to continue playing your silly little game. And so the way that you keep up rate of reinforcement is that you're always re- reinforcing those tiny pieces right because if you again if you make a giant leap and he's not getting reinforced you've made it too hard for him then he's going to walk away it's not worth it to him and by the way you need to really think about what a giant leap is we're not talking about a giant leap of thought for you we're talking about a giant leap of thought for your dog right those can be very different things for some people when a dog is doing a rollover and they get their nose up over their shoulder 
then it's not a giant leap for them to think the dog is going to roll all the way over yeah. and, and end up on his. But it is for the dog. There's a lot of There's movement still three in quarters between. of the way to go. That's right. There's a lot of movement in between there. And so you really need to, to think about, especially as it pertains to rate of reinforcement, if what you're asking for is too much, if you're asking for too big of a leap mm-hmm. in between, or if he's offering you other little pieces of the puzzle that you should be clicking for. Yeah. Because even though they aren't married up to one piece, another piece of the puzzle, they are still pieces. They are all components of a behavior that you want, correct? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? Because I know that we will revisit clickers. I know that we'll probably revisit it on several occasions. Yeah, and we're doing this so that we can cover the basics of of clicker training so that when we mention it in the future, we can move on and not have to go back and explain the whole thing. Right. And I think that also we need to make sure that we kind of talk about why use a clicker. We did hit on this when we first started, but let's just sort of reinforce that idea. First of all, the first time you bring a clicker in, it can be something that your dog has no experience with. So whatever ills, whatever mistakes, whatever problems that you have created in other types of training, it comes with a a bit of a clean slate. Yes. Okay, so that's advantageous, especially to those of you who have been working with a dog for a period of time. You've hit a bit of a wall. You're not sure what's going on. Or maybe you even know the mistakes that you've made, but you're not sure how to fix it. You can change tracks, and you can go to working with a clicker, which gives you kind of a clean slate, Mm -hmm. right? The other reasons to use clicker training are? Because it's fun. Because it makes the dog think. My dogs love the clicker because it makes them think, and... I had one of my dogs in one of my friend's group classes, and she handed out a bunch of bells, you know, the little dingy bells that you, that people have on their counters, mm-hmm. you know, in, in shops and stuff. And she sent it home with everybody and said, I want you to retrain your go-to-bed to the sound of the bell instead of saying go-to-bed. And so then, then then the bell just becomes the new cue for go-to-bed. And because she, she wanted to talk about how to transfer cues, how to change mm-hmm. the cue of a behavior. And... So this is one where I started to get a superstitious behavior. I would hit the bell, and he would bark at me and then go lie down. Mm-hmm. And so I had to get rid of that. And I did it like five minutes before class one time, and I started to get that, and so I just put the clicker away. Mm-hmm. And as she's going around class, she's going, how's everybody going, how's everybody going, how's everybody going? She got to me, and I said, well, I'm getting a superstitious bark that I need to get rid of. And that was one where I stopped doing it. I wasn't going to accept the bark with the go-to-bed and then get rid of the bark later because it was easy enough for me to just get rid of the bark there. Right. But I think that you make a really good point, which is it, it creates a thinking dog. Mm-hmm. It creates a dog that is looking for what it is that you want. One of the things about a clicker or marker training in general is that because there is a tremendous amount of you saying, you've got it, you've got it, you've got it, you've got it. Yes, 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 yes. That's it. The dog it. is that's right. It. That's he wants it. That's to keep it. playing the game. With the click, by the way. You don't have to say all those words. Or you can use one, any or one of those words as a marker word. What happens is the dog starts to think, okay, I just need to find what it is I'm supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. So the, it makes the dog keep thinking forward. Go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say that, you know, there are a lot of dogs that even if they might be food motivated or may not be too food motivated and they're sort of, and I'm thinking more of some of the northern breeds or some of the Asian breeds that aren't that interested in, you know, working, that if you bring a clicker into it, then it's kind of like, I get it. I'm the one in charge. All I have to do is make you click. 
And then you're going to give me what I want. Mm -hmm. So then for some of those breeds, and the first one that I saw this with was a Shiba Inu. This dog wouldn't work for me for nothing. But as soon as I I brought in the clicker, he was like, oh, I get it. I'm in charge. Fine. If he wants to think that, we'll let him think that. But once he realized that all he had to do was make me click, then he was the one in charge. Fine. That's fine with me. But it got him to work. And it gets to be an exciting game. Mm -hmm. And learning gets to be an exciting game for the dog. And that is a gift. Mm -hmm. When you have a dog that wants to work, that wants to learn because it's an exciting game for them, Mm -hmm. because they have a measure, as you said, a measure of control in this, because they have the key to making this happen, right? right? All they have to do is, okay, all I have to do is figure out how to make this happen, but I know it's going to happen. Then it becomes a game that you, you have a willing participant in. So it, it does create a willing situation. Having said that, you can, there are a lot of ways to create a willing dog. It's not the only way to create a right. willing dog. I've had willing dogs for years, and I didn't use clickers. But it is one of those ways to create a dog or to create an idea in the dog's head that, hey, learning is fun. I want to come up with new things. So if you're one of those people who likes to teach your dog a lot of different things, it's a really great way to turn on that desire in the dog. Have we covered it? I believe we have. We will revisit this in the future. And please, as always, if you have anything to say about this or you'd like to ask that we cover something else, you can email us at dogdishtopics at yahoo.com. Or you can go to Facebook and look for Doggy Dish on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your thoughts, your ideas, and maybe your ideas for future shows. And you can always listen to us on iTunes. And if you are listening to us on iTunes, please, please rate us. That would be great. And write a review. But only have nice things to say. Yes. All right. So I'm Kim Reinhardt with Ain't Misbehaving Canine. And Laura Verhani from Animal Attraction Unlimited. Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to Doggy Dish, a podcast series about dog training and other related issues. To suggest a topic for a future segment, please email us at dogdishtopics at yahoo.com. To learn more about our featured trainers, or if you're interested in training for your own dog and you live in the Los Angeles area, you may contact Laura or Kim directly. To speak with Laura, call 818-800-4818 or visit her website at www.petdogtrainer.com. To speak with Kim, call 818-890-1133 or visit her website at www.beagooddog.com. Thank you for listening.